I'm going to suggest that you uh, hang on to uh, the idea that uh, Paul surfaced here uh, very briefly is that our faith becomes very relevant and is actually strengthened and grows during difficult times. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm going to be enlarging on that idea, uh, that basic idea uh, through this message. I'm discovering that uh, one is never too old to learn. Um, so what I've learned recently is that when one makes a suggestion, that suggestion can be thrown back into your own lap. Uh, so that has, ha has happened. Um, and what I, what I suggested to the leadership team last Monday when I sort of on the spur of the moment uh, send them this text was that the uh, that there is uh, there is an important aspect to discipleship that has to do with suffering and so I'm entitling my message this morning simply it's uh, it's found it's a phrase that is found in first Peter chapter 4 and verse 16 that says, if any man suffer as a Christian. So from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, I'm taking this phrase. Um, allow me to read uh, just several verses surrounding this text in 1 Peter chapter 4, actually. Um, did I say 3? It's chapter 4 and verse 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. And uh, I'll read through to uh, verse 17. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. For if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, that's right, Happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On, that part he, on their part he is evil spoken of, on, on, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Now here's the phrase, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf, for the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If any man suffer as a Christian, Perhaps this is the only time that the word, the phrase Christian is used in the New Testament. At least uh, it's, used not very, it's not used very often, and so it's only a couple of times. And here is this, this one time that the word Christian is used. We use it so often uh, that it all, almost becomes meaningless. But if any, man, if any man suffer as a Christian... Please note here that of the, take note of the little word if in this, uh, in this phrase. If any man suffer. 
Um, this little word, if, especially as used in English, is often used to throw doubt on something. And so we say, if this will happen, or if that will happen, or if this is true, or if it's not true. But uh, I would have us recognize this morning that uh, if, um, if it were used in that way, <laughs> here in verse 16, then Peter would be saying, it's doubtful that you will suffer as a Christian, but if you do, you're, if you are called upon to suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Well, um, because the way the word if is used here in this context, I understand that Paul and Peter is not uh, throwing doubt on the fact on, on, on whether we're going to suffer or not. But in actuality, uh, Peter is, as I understand it, Peter is reinforcing the fact that a true Christian will suffer. In fact, Strong's Concordians indicates that the word if here can be used to imply for, as, for in as much then. So the main thrust of my message this morning is to reinforce the fact that a Christian, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, will suffer. And I feel that's really what this phrase is saying. How a disciple of Jesus will suffer in this text is not necessarily defined. But Peter is saying that suffering is, uh, is inevitable for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So the main thing that I'm going to do is, this morning is examine what Jesus said to his disciples as what to expect or what it meant to be one of his disciples. In other words, uh, what, uh, what, what is involved in, in being a disciple? Uh, what do you get out of being a disciple? And so uh, I'm going to examine some things that Jesus said in relation to this. What it means to be one of his disciples. Now, as I have looked at the, uh, the three years of Jesus' public ministry, I noticed two things especially as to what he said to those in relation to what he said to those he invited to, uh, to be his disciples. During the first about a year and a half to two years of Jesus' public ministry, which began in Jerusalem and then went, uh, and then he eventually moved up into Galilee. Um, during this first year and about a year and a half or two years of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus manifested his glory to his disciples. And I find this very significant. 
he manifested his glory to his disciples, which convinced them that he indeed was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it was, it was primarily and, and, and first of all very important that, uh, that they get this because of what he was going to say to them and what they were going to experience in the years to come. And Jesus did this. Jesus revealed his glory to them, not only by what he said to them, the things that he he declared to them, but by the things that he did. In other words, he revealed his glory to his disciples primarily uh, through, uh, through demonstrating what he as the Son of God could do. And so he did it. He manifested his glory to them through his miracles. Um, Notice what uh, it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and and verse 11, which, uh, which he said to them, which he said about him, after he did his first miracle uh, in the little town of Cana in, uh, in, in uh, central Galilee. Uh, John chapter 2 and um, John chapter 1, rather, and verse 52. No, I'm wrong again. Um, chapter 2 and verse 11. Notice what, what it says about, about this. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. This was the beginning of the miracles that he would do throughout the next three years of his public ministry. And all of these miracles, as far as the Gospel of John is concerned, was for the purpose of showing who Jesus was. In other words, manifesting forth his glory. It becomes very important. Um, so Jesus uh, manifested, showed forth the glory of his person, especially by the things he did, his miracles. Uh, notice what he said in John chapter 1 and verse 52, uh, when after uh, he, was, he was on his, his way to Cana, actually, for this wedding, a feast in Cana, in, uh, here in John chapter 1 and verse 52. And he had, he had been picking up uh, disciples along the way. It started with, with uh, three disciples that he picked up down in the area of Jerusalem, uh, Andrew and John and Peter. Uh, and then he made his way up to, to uh, Galilee, to uh, Cana, and on the way he picked up two 
uh, more, which were Nathaniel and Philip. And uh, was it uh, was it Nathaniel? Yes. Uh, when Philip came to Nathaniel and said, uh, um, he said, "We've uh, we found him. We we found." We, we found the one who is the, the Messiah. Uh, Philip was a little bit skeptical about this. Um, or Nathaniel was a little bit skeptical about this. And, uh, and then uh, Jesus uh, uh, revealed his glory to him in this way. And he said, uh, you know, when, when you were under that fig tree, uh, I saw you. And that you saw me under the fig tree? Evidently, the fig tree was not within sight of where Jesus actually was. And Jesus indicated where he was and that he saw him under the fig tree. Even though he was not within sight uh, in, in, in such a situation, he could actually see him there. But, but, but this convinced Nathaniel, and so he said, um, Rabbi, you really are the son of God. <laughs> you are the king of Israel. And uh, Jesus said, because I said unto you that I saw you under the fig tree, believest thou? You're going to see greater things. And then he said, verily I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God standing and descending of, uh, Ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You're going to see the glory of God in the Son, in me, as the Son of God. And so Jesus, in the first year and a half to two years of his ministry, uh, revealed his glory to his disciples. This was important for them to see that. I hope we, we understand that as we go along here. Because when, when Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, as he did a little bit later on when he was in, in, in Capernaum and walking down the seashore and he saw Peter and Andrew uh, 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 with his father mending nets, uh, he said to them in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he simply said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he said the same thing to uh, um, James and John. At the same time, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's all he said. And they left their nets and followed him. So he didn't say a whole lot about what they could expect uh, as his disciples. To, to Matthew, after he had been in Capernaum for a number of uh, months, he, he simply said to him, follow me. See, Matthew had already been, no doubt, observing uh, the glory of Christ in, uh, in the miracles that he did around Capernaum, um, powerful miracles of healing and, 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 and that kind of thing. And so when Jesus said to Matthew, he was already convinced. Jesus simply said to him, follow me, and he, he left everything and followed him because he had, no doubt, been aware 
of the wonderful things that Jesus had been doing. Well, I want us to understand that about halfway through Jesus' extended Galilean ministry, this changed. Uh, something happened. This changed. And, and Jesus began to spell out to his disciples very didactically the cost of discipleship. And so, uh, so, so Jesus began to do this to his disciples. And, uh, and he did this in Matthew chapter 10. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 10 with me. He, uh, he, he began to, uh, to, to tell his disciples... Um, some things that they could expect to take place as a result of them being his disciples. You see, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus had just uh, chosen from among other followers of his, the, the 12, to be his apostles, to be his disciples, to be the 12, to be those, the, that certain group of people that that he was going to use in a special kind of way. And so uh, he chose he those 12 disciples out on the, uh, out in the, <clears throat> in, in the, on the mountain where, had be, where he had gone to pray all night. And uh, the next morning, um, he chose these 12, whom we know as the 12 disciples or apostles, to be his disciples. And he began, at that point, uh, he began to uh, tell them and show to them what they can expect to find, that find, that they could expect to find themselves in dangerous places and to be despised, yes, even hated for, his, for being his disciples. Here Jesus had just, like I said, selected among his from among his followers those who would be his 12 apostles. And the first thing he did was send these 12 out into the towns and the villages of Galilee to minister among the people and proclaim the kingdom of God. So after giving them some very specific instructions here in Matthew chapter 10 in regards to this first missions trip, into the countryside of Galilee. Note what he told them beginning in verse 16. In fact, allow me to read verses 16 through 23 here. Uh, this is what he uh, said to them. Behold, I sent you forth as, wool, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my, name, for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And brother, and listen to this, and brother shall deliver up, 
the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall, raise up, be, shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated, yes, ye shall be hated. How many of you have been hated in the past week? How many of you have felt hated even in the past month? He said, you shall be hated. Have you ever felt hated? Huh? Extremely despised? You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. For he that, but he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man shall come. Now, uh, it's easy to sort of read over this and not get the impact of what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. And so, uh, here are some things. Let me just point them out. Some things that he said they would experience. First of all, he said he is sending them as sheep, forth as sheep among wolves. Um, yes, the, the most defenseless animal probably created, sent out into the midst of the most ferocious animal. You get it? How long does a sheep last? when he's out in the midst of wolves. Huh? <laughs> well, it's not too difficult to ascertain what will happen when sheep meets wolf. It seems to me that Jesus here was helping his disciples understand a number of things. And, and perhaps, first of all, the difference between them and the people that he's sending them to, the difference between them and what we might call the world. You see, the, he was pointing out the, the nature of them as disciples. The nature of them as disciples was that of sheep, and the nature of the people in the world were that of wolves. And he certainly didn't suggest to them that if they acted more like wolves, they would be more successful in ministering to the wolves. <laughs> but in essence, he was saying, I'm sending you out very vulnerable. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going out as sheep among wolves. Is it possible to deduct from what Jesus said to the 12 as he sent them out that being, that, that being vulnerable sheep sent out among wolves, somehow that, that persecution and suffering and putting their very lives on the line for him was actually part of Jesus' ultimate strategy for his disciples back there in AD 30? or maybe even in the 16th century.
But is it possible this morning that Jesus, that this is, that this is also may, may be part of his ultimate plan for us today? By suggesting that, I am um, saying that I believe as part of God's ultimate plan. I'm sure that some of them said it, would have thought at this time, wait a minute, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> But notice what he said further. They can expect to be scourged in the Jewish synagogues. That's verse 17. In other words, 39 lashes, 40 lashes minus one, which was what the Jews were allowed to do to the people that uh, they saw uh, needed punishment. So 39 lashes on a bare back. They were going to be scourged. And as I indicated earlier, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. That's verse 22. But he said, when they persecute you in one city, flee to another and keep on with your mission, with, on, with your ministry. Don't stop. And then Jesus goes on to explain and give further directives. And this is what he said. If you, if you read further with me, in verses 24 and 25, he said, the disciple is not above his master. What happens to the master is going to happen to his disciple. That's very definitive. Then he said to them, fear not them which kill the body. Verse 28, etc. And then he said, whosoever shall confess me before men in this, in this setting... I will confess before my Father, which is in heaven. And whosoever denies me before men, well, I will deny in the presence of the Father. And for the first time in Jesus' three years of ministry, here Jesus speaks of the need to take up the cross and follow after him. That's verses 38 and 39. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. My question for us this morning is this. Are these instructions to his disciples and his warnings as to what to expect when they go into their world to minister and preach the gospel as compelling for us in 2019 as it was for them in AD 30? Well, I, I will let you think about that and uh, come to some conclusions on your own. But, but I'm asking you, how do you deal with what Jesus said here in your own personal life, in the life that we're experiencing here in 2019? 
in the United States of America. During my uh, stint of teaching at SMBI in January and February, um, uh, on, the, on a side I read two books. One of them, of the books, was entitled Standing in the Fire by uh, Tom Doyle. Here in, uh, in this book, uh, Standing in the Fire, is, uh, uh, it tells the story of followers of Christ who live in countries today, 2019, like Syria and other countries of the Middle East, where, where, ISIS, uh, where ISIS persecutes and kills without compulsion those who dare turn from Islam to Christ. In the introduction, it tells of a man named Ferret, who is a follower of Christ, who lives in an area in Syria that is under control of ISIS. Notice what he says. Ferret lives in Syria in the midst of the world's most feared killing machine, ISIS. Yet if you met him today, you would be shocked because he appears to live with less stress than you and I do in the relative safety of America. His heart overflows with peace and a contagious memorial smile always shines despite his overwhelming adversity. Farad doesn't merely survive, he thrives in Syria. Imagine that. He should be dead by now, yet he is not standing alone, and he tells of how he has never felt the presence of Christ more than when he wasn't sure if he would live to see the end of that day. Think about that. The, you know, uh, the idea that our faith is most compelling when we're standing in the midst of extreme difficulties. This challenges me, this has challenged me <laughs> tremendously in the last couple of months. There's another book that I read, and this book was, is entitled the, the Insanity of Obedience. And I'm going to be, uh, we're going to be putting these books in, into our library and they'll be available to you. The Insanity of Obedience. In the book, The Insanity of Obedience, the author makes the point that 80% of the followers of Jesus in the world today, in 2019, who practice their faith and, and obediently preach the gospel in their world expect to experience what Jesus said to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 10. Furthermore, they expect to be obedient to Christ, even in the midst of their suffering.
Well then, so in the, the last year of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus became very explicit, very succinct, very upfront as to what it meant to follow him, what it means to, to be his disciple. And the very uh, uh, next, um, what happened immediately soon after this uh, sending forth of his disciples uh, is what took place in Matthew chapter 16. If, uh, if you do the timeline of Jesus' ministry, you will discover that this uh, event in Matthew chapter 16 was uh, at the beginning of Jesus' third year and his final year of ministry before he died. He was about to leave Galilee for the last time and make his way to Jerusalem uh, to suffer and die. So uh, he, uh, and so that's the setting. This took place uh, while they were at Caesarea Philippi, as you notice in, in chapter 16 of Matthew uh, and, uh, and, and verse 13. Uh, Jesus had just asked his disciples, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And uh, that's verse 15. And then Peter made that clear and powerful declaration. And it seems to me that he spoke for all of the rest of the disciples uh, when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, soon after that, um, within that same day, for the first time, or for the, the, the second time, rather, Jesus clearly made known to his disciples that, well, that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised from the dead. That's, uh, that's verse 21, I believe. And Peter took it upon himself to rebuke Jesus but he, because this didn't fit into his theology of the Messiah and who Jesus was and the glory of, uh, of the Messiah. And then Jesus defined for his disciples what to expect as a result of being his disciples. Now, uh, Matthew chapter 16, and um, beginning at verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana, Canaan came out of the same coast and cried with him, saying, Have mercy on me. Um, I'm sorry, that's, that's chapter 16. I had a senior moment at that time. Uh, from... From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again from the third day. And then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he said, and he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Then said Jesus unto his disciples. And here it is, very succinct. Um, 
the second time, he talks to them about the cross. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Well, here Jesus um, defined for his disciples what you expect as a result of being his disciples. The first thing he said was uh, they, should, they would need to deny themselves. The second thing he said is that they should take up the cross and follow him. Well, you know, we're, we're not very well acquainted with crosses or what it means to carry a cross, take up your cross. I'm, I'm talking literally here. You see, you see that in, in that in that context, they did not wear crosses as jewelry. Uh, they did not have their bodies... Uh, 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 they did not have crosses painted on their bodies. Um, but, but crosses meant something very significant to them at that time. We can understand that when they saw a man carrying a cross, it meant two things, and that meant suffering and death. You see, um, denying yourself and taking up the cross calls for one to deal with one of the strongest drives or instincts in man, the instinct for self-preservation and the instinct to save oneself. But the, 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 the challenge to take up the cross is the clearest call here that I find in the New Testament to a willingness to, to have a willingness to suffer and die um, for the sake of following him. Did you hear me? The, the willingness to suffer and die for Jesus' sake. Again, I don't know how you process and deal with this call of Jesus, this aspect of discipleship, this, this matter of, uh, of being willing to uh, suffer and die for Jesus. How real is that to us? I'm asking you this morning. And I'm, I'm challenging you not to quickly pass over or gloss over this call for us today in the time in which we live. Now, I need to bring this to a close. But let me, in closing, be... Um, very straightforward with you. And, and let me assure you that I'm not narcissistic. 
I don't have a martyr complex. I'm not, I'm not looking to die, uh, and especially in, in, in a cruel kind of way, any more than you are. And I don't believe in being different for different sake. But my sense and fear is that living in a political system that is tolerant toward us, even as radical disciples of Christ, will cause us to easily be led astray with the error of the wicked. That's uh, mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Our affluent life of non-suffering, if I may call it that, I believe easily puts us into a compromising position where we are suddenly lulled to sleep feeling that the sinful culture we live in that is vividly described, I believe, in Romans chapter uh, 1 and verses 29 through 32, really doesn't hate us or oppose us, but is our friend. That's what I fear. That unknowingly and almost without thinking because of we're experiencing the, the freedom that we have here in the United States of America in the West. This sort of, we, we sort of uh, go in that direction. You know, are we really like sheep in the midst of wolves? And so, Perhaps we begin, we, we, we don't realize that, we don't feel that, we don't sense that. So we begin to embrace the culture of the wolves around us. I, I'm saying this morning that if we want to survive the culture we live in, we need to be very alert spiritually, very intentional about our radical commitment to Jesus Christ as his disciples, and be very committed to making disciples and to committed to make the gospel known to those around us in an unapologetic kind of way. or else we will be led astray with the error of the wicked. Now, I know that I have belabored the point and I haven't gotten very far, but, uh, and I've not exhausted the subject of this matter. But I've only looked at a few references related to this matter. You know, as you go on in Jesus' uh, ministry from here on, Jesus further spoke to his disciples in, 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 in different places and, and, and especially in the upper room uh, discourse, he spoke to his disciples of the hatred and the ridicule that they would face because of being disciples and because of the fact that the disciple is not above his master or Lord in these things. 
Also in the book of Acts, the apostles warned those who responded to the gospel that they must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. I ask you again, is that true in any way for us today? That's Acts chapter 14, verse 22. And furthermore, the, the sure reality of persecution for Jesus and the gospel, for, and for, for Jesus and for the gospel's sake, is spoken of many times in the epistles, as well as giving us instructions as to how to respond to those who persecute us. And one of the most clearest uh, uh, admonitions that we have is from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, where he says, and this is very familiar to us, but again, I ask you not to gloss it over because he said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I want you to notice that it doesn't say all those who profess to be followers of Jesus shall suffer persecution. But notice what it says very succinctly. All those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There might be a difference. Again, I don't know how to assimilate these facts and realities in my life, in, as I experience it here in America, any more than you do. <laughs> but I'm saying this morning, we dare not just deal with this with a shrug of the shoulder and go on to enjoy our lives of ease and pleasure. Well, these are some of my thoughts as uh, some of my rambling thoughts as uh, I thought about what Jesus said about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ as it relates to suffering. God bless you as you deal with this. I'm going to turn it back to 